The year is 1968. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Here, a comic book reading club. I am Dave, the founder and editor of comicbookherald.com, and alongside Zach, the Ooh. president of the Pace Pot Pete fan club. This episode, <laughs> we'll be covering the first part of 1968. Gotta get me some glue. <laughs> Gotta get that glue. So, yeah, we're getting pretty deep into the 60s here. Um, we've had a really good run of, I would say, like 65 through 67. Obviously, the last episode or the last 67 part two, you know, we talked about maybe a, maybe being on the downside of, of some of the sixties Marvel arcs, or at least of the Stan and Jack era. But I think 68, I don't know that it necessarily course corrects too hard, but it does, it starts to introduce what Marvel's going to become in kind of a phase two. So I know like in MCU parlance, there's all that phase one, Mm -hmm. phase two type ideas. Like I think 68 part one is definitely the strongest we've gotten a sense of, what is what is post Stanley, post Jack Kirby, post Steve Ditko Marvel start to look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels um, like they're settling in and trying to just expand the expand the world out. I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that that's quite it. It's kind of like it. It does feel like they're settling into these are going to be really long stories. So mm-hmm. we're we're just kind of start telling these like serialized stories and stop like trying to to build up things especially avengers we read a lot of avengers and it does feel like they are just like settled into a groove a little bit for yeah i'd say for worse but will you give me just a second i I have to turn my heater off too hot for you already so if you have been listening to my marvelous here and have been enjoying the podcast so far you can uh if you can rate review subscribe on itunes or your podcast player of choice that goes a long way. Also, anybody who can just uh, reach out and tell a friend, that is something that uh, we appreciate immensely as well. Yeah, and stick around to the end of this episode because we're going to be doing kind of a little giveaway for uh, for some people for helping out the helping out the podcast. Absolutely. And for new listeners, if you go on over to patreon.com slash year, you can find uh, the simplest and easiest ways to support the show if you are so inclined. And thank you very much if you do. Yeah, first episode or the first issue we're going to talk about here avengers number 49 mine is the power and when i'm talking about marvel sort of hitting a phase two i i think to your point zach avengers is really where we're going to see it the most prominently because here we've got roy thomas and john buscema era of writing and artistry with lettering here by Artie simek i really love the cover to Avengers number 49, um, if not altogether mm-hmm. necessarily the content of the issue. It's Magneto looming over Quicksilver with um, oh, yeah, you know yeah. Wanda limp in Quicksilver's arms. And it's just a, it's a really cool cover. And it's it's sort of, I don't know that it introduces, but it, it definitely leans into the idea of Magneto as a Marvel Universe villain, which I think mm-hmm. he fills the role of, Doctor Doom fills the role of. Um, but Magneto even like before... Before he becomes the more nuanced, complex X-Men villain, he's kind of right. just like a all-purpose bad guy for, for everybody here. Yeah, which I don't actually love. I don't think he, he works that well as just kind of like 
generally evil. Like, it's not that interesting to just have him be this so maniacal I, I, madman trying to, like, defeat the Avengers. Yeah. You know, we have enough of those. I think the ways he's evil in this issue do become interesting. So diving into it, Avengers number 49, it opens with Hercules in Olympus, and he's fighting Typhus. And they do a whole, like, spiel on Greek mythology. And mm-hmm. here's here's the thing about <laughs> Avengers comics. I don't care about Olympus. I never have. I like Hercules. I think he's I wish I did. a funny brasher god, or at least he'll become that. You know, like he's a yeah. he's a more boisterous Thor with a sense of humor, and I think that's a he, nice. He's character been good in the around. Thor comic. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he's a good counterpart. I think when he's just when they're just doing this god troubles thing, you know, kind of like Thor has with Asgard, but with Hercules and Olympus, I it's never worked for me. Like ever, and it doesn't go anywhere here. No, and it's like it's a little side story that is not that interesting. It's just, it's basically Hercules goes back to Olympus, and there's some guy named Typhus there who's taken over, and then they just brawl. It it's not wrapped up in this issue, and you're right. Like I I could care less. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird sort of like supporting narrative throughout this issue that doesn't really have anything to do with it, and it's like a B or C plot that sort of just tells you where Herc is because he is otherwise, mm-hmm. I guess sort of a part of the Avengers at this point. So instead, we jump to Avengers Mansion, where Hank's antenna goggles are absolutely out of control. <laughs> he's got, he's, his costume is going through a makeover. I don't know if he's doing the design, if Jan's doing the design, because certainly she's go through costumes of her own, but Hank looks ridiculous. I hate these costumes. I, I hate the costumes of this era. They're starting to get really bad. What, like, all of they're them? They're getting really generic and... No, I mean, some of them, like, are mainstays that have been around forever, like Cap and Thor and Iron Man, but, like, a lot of them, like, the Wasp and Goliath and a lot of the villains kind of have these just, like, really generic superhero costumes that I they are so boring to look at. The, John Buscema's art is, how do I put it, I think as individual panels, they kind of work here. Like, I, his pencils are okay. I like the inking here. There's a lot of like really dark darks here, mm-hmm. a lot of black here. And I think individual panels are all right, but taken as a flow, as, as a storytelling, I think it's pretty clumsy and it's pretty messy. It's hard to, it's hard to read. Um, he does this thing where he's just focused in on the characters and sometimes faces. So there's an action and that's it. Mm-hmm. It's just like 60, 70% of the panel is just bodies mm-hmm. and their costumes. So you can't, I just, like, I never feel a sense of place. Like, very often it shifts places, and I have no idea where we are. I just realized, like, halfway through this issue, I was like, I don't know where we are for the most part. And he does a lot of, like, mm-hmm. time shifting, like, one hour ago. That It's really confusing, and it's really, like, I don't know. There, there, there's no good flow to this issue. It's yeah, I, I don't know how much of that is Bushema. I was just going to say, I don't know how much of that is Bushema alone, and Roy Thomas as well. Because, like, they're definitely both getting their feet under them on pacing. I think when yeah. we hit them again in in eight issues even, those issues are going to be – it's going to be very good, actually. So there's definitely some it's practice. Fi- 57 is actually like a big improvement. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's trending the, the right direction. So anyway, I don't want to get too bogged down in the Avengers details here like because the Avengers are really boring <laughs> at this point. Yeah. The lineup – and Hawkeye is, is bummed about this. This is basically his plot – through this issue is the lineup right now is Hawkeye, Giant Man, aka Hank Pym, and and Janet Van Dyne because Cap just quit. 
cool <laughs> the issue before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's it. And Hercules is missing. So that's the that's the entirety of the team. Oh, and by the way, uh, Magneto kidnapped <laughs> Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, so they don't know where they are either. So we've got like this pitiful little ragtag Avengers crew, which actually is a concept that I kind of find fun when it's like they're just totally they're like uh they're like the C-listers, but it's still the Avengers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They they none of them actually have superpowers. They're just good at, you know, like science or shooting arrows. Mm-hmm. They, right. they can kind of feel out of their depth. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another quick note before we get to the Magneto stuff. Uh, Roy Thomas, he's the, you know, kind of the disciple of Stan Lee. He comes on as an editorial assistant, super young. We mentioned, I think, way back in like 65, maybe 66. And he's going to go on to have a long and celebrated career, not only with Marvel, but at DC. At this point in time, in 1968, he writes Janet like Stan writes Sue. And that is to say poorly. Um, he does not give her much agency. He does not give her much characterization beyond the like cliched tropes of what a female might be doing. Yeah. So just assume anytime we mention that Janet Van Dyne is in the scene, you can just assume she's saying something that's like pretty sexist or the way she's being portrayed as sexist. We we don't need to call it out every time, but it's a real through line through the way that she's like, she's constantly just like, uh, I don't know. Just, just being a wife, like in that, in in the worst way possible, in the way that they would use that phrase, like mm-hmm. you know, they get into a fight. Uh, her and Hank Pym get into a fight, and then later she's chastising him for something. In in her head, she's thinking, "I'm not really mad, but I have to get back at him somehow." You know, like just, it, ugh, it, it's really bad. Like she's just really, um, kind of dull, petty weak-willed the all, all the like the worst tropes that they they lean into the female characters with janet van time gets which is too bad because she actually was kind of okay before and she's a lot worse now she doesn't have like the funny wit no no unfortunately not so the part of this issue i find interesting is magneto uh pitching wanda and pietro on on rejoining the brotherhood of evil <laughs> which they are initially quite opposed to i i do appreciate that he's still like he's still he's got a name He's got a team name, and mm-hmm. there's no part of him that wants to change that. Even though, as he's pitching to Pietro and Wanda, he's like trying to sell them sort of on the virtue of this team, you know, of like the reasons they should leave the Avengers and join. But he's still calling it the Brotherhood right. of Evil Mutants. So yeah. it is kind of enjoyable. Um, he he basically he tells them he sh- so he shows off his powers, and he's got this. He's discovered a magnetic perpetual motion. Where he's got this like sort of mm-hmm, city facility. Oh, totally. And um, and then he makes up the idea that he's going to establish all he wants. He doesn't want to kill everyone anymore. All he wants is a refugee colony for mutants. But this is actually a lie. We see very quickly. He still actually wants to conquer. But what I love about this is when we think about Magneto today, the idea of like a refugee colony for mutants, like a safe haven, is definitely something that is attributed to the character. But at this point, mm-hmm, it's like right. not even in consideration not realistically for him yeah yeah and he he does some interesting manipulation of quicksilver and um scarlet witch by i don't even know how they're they're like in front of some cops right and magneto takes control of their guns in a way that makes it look like they oh no no he he they raid the united nations 
Oh, right. <laughs> I honestly like I couldn't. T- there was one shot where like we go from Magneto's in his base to he's in a helicopter to him falling out of the helicopter, and I had to go back and I was like, when did he get in the helicopter? And it never shows him getting in the helicopter. They just like state it. Like yeah, so much of the action and the the plot is in the text boxes. It's I honestly had the hardest time actually hmm. like following this. I was so bored. <laughs> that, Interesting. Like, yeah. So they yeah. Magneto and, and crew. So that he's got Toad with him as well. In addition, we we can't leave out. Toad. Yeah. And they raid the United Nations. He demands a mutant nation, which is actually like kind of interesting. Um, the Avengers show up and chaos ensues. So the Avengers, Hawkeye, Giant Man, Wasp, they make things like infinitely worse in the melee that ensues. Uh, yes, Magneto takes advantage of this, and he. It's kind of like it's actually kind of subtle. But the the inference is that he manipulates one of the police officers' fired weapons to Mm -hmm. hit Wanda. And then this sets Quicksilver off, and he immediately goes evil mutant, right? So he goes 100%, you know, humans do not stand up for mutants. I'm back on Magneto's team. And this was a really good shot, the shot of Wanda. She gets shot basically in her metallic tiara. So it ricochets off, like, she gets, you know, a blunt force to the head, but she's not actually shot. Yeah. Um. Which causes her to kind of forget who she is, also lose her powers, whatever. Um, yeah, but also gets Quicksilver to turn against humans and join up with Magneto. Yeah, so that's basically the most interesting part of the issue. Um, it, it ends yeah, it, with the Avengers in total the disarray. But the the piece that I like here is, one, you get a little Magneto versus the Avengers. And two, all these concepts that he's sort of flirting with here as a not as a joke, but as a as a ruse, um, all those are going to become a lot more interesting <laughs> and central to mutants as a whole. Yeah, he's just, I feel like it's still, he, he's just evil for evil's sake at this point, And I'm just, I'm not here for that. <laughs> like not for anyone, not just Magneto. Well, he's got a, he's got a vendetta. I mean, like, he, we don't but not have even the against humans. Yet. Like he's just he's just well, yeah, nasty to Toad for no reason. Oh no, no, yeah, against yeah. humans. But I'm saying like he's just nasty to everyone, mutant or human. Like he's really nasty and abusive to Toad for no particular reason except that he just you know he can he can kick him because he's weaker. Yeah, and that you know it's not that interesting to me. Like again, that's probably because I want Magneto to be more interesting. But just having someone who's like evil with no reason except that like. They're a, so- a sociopath. He is a super villain without nuance, which I think yeah. is a lot of what bad guys are at this point. Um, but yeah. I, I think, yeah, for for modern readers, I think probably we expect more. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, <laughs> you know? I'm bringing I'm bringing you know modern sensibilities to it, of course. But I mean, I can't not. <laughs> yeah, that moves us into Thor 148. Um, in the previous issues, basically Thor was not allowed to travel back to Earth um, by Odin. Odin banned him from going to Earth. And Thor went to Earth against Odin's wishes. Odin stripped him of his powers. Loki snuck to Earth to try to take advantage of the fact that Thor didn't have his powers. And then uh, Lady Sif and Balder the Brave also went to Earth to defend Thor from Loki. And that's where this issue opens up with Odin <laughs> real angry. He's so petulant. Odin is, like, the, the most thin-skinned little baby. Um, him stripping all four of them of their powers uh, and banishing them to Earth, basically. Like I like yeah. I like Odin's oh. flights of fury um, as, a, as a character, like, concept because, I don't know, it's it kind of taps into the idea of, like, an angry, righteous creator who, mm-hmm. who definitely cannot... He, like, he is not one to ever take a slight and not lash out in the harshest possible way. And I think it's, yeah. he's very consistent in that regard. I don't know if he's consistent. He's pretty fickle. Like, 
sometimes Thor asks him, you know, for Jane Foster's hand in marriage, and he flies off the handle. Then other times he like I feel like him being fickle and you know having a hair trigger is is kind of his main. I guess he's consistent. <laughs> he consistently has a hair trigger, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, th- this basically is a setup for Thor, Sif, Loki, and Balder to be stuck on Earth without powers, and uh, Loki immediately runs off on his own to try, you know try to try to get his powers back. The other three head to a I think a hotel room or is it? Oh no, they head to Doctor Blake's office, and there's a really fun scene of you know they're they're kind of stuck here. They're watching TV. They see Spider Man on TV, mm-hmm. which I like, and and they order some takeout uh, or some delivery. There's a very good scene of a delivery boy showing up and he opens the door and there's Thor and two other Norse gods. And uh, you just get a fun scene of like a, a starstruck teenage boy delivering to Thor. And he's like, what will the fellas back at the, the restaurant say when I said I met a, a Norse god? And Thor says, they'll simply have to look in your li- your eyes and they'll believe you. <laughs> you think he could have autographed the pizza box or something, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, they'll believe you, kid. Yeah. Just don't worry about it. Um. So the main thrust of this issue is just this weird side plot of a character named the Wrecker. He's someone I think I actually was initially going to include in an extra issues issue, but then I just saw that he's a villain whose power is that he owns a crowbar and he's good at crowbarring, uh, which a is nothing. Magic crowbar. Like no, not at this point. At this point, he's just good at crowbarring. Like, and he's been in comics before as just a guy with a crowbar, calling himself the Wrecker because of that. Like, uh, give me a second. I'll be right back. I'm gonna run to the tool tool shed. Uh, I'll be the wrecker when I get back. It's nothing. If that's the the life of juvenile delinquency that you want to take upon yourself, you you have earned the mantle of wrecker. <laughs> the, the the dark path of owning a crowbar. <laughs> uh, he Loki's in a hotel room and he calls to the Norn Queen or the Queen of the Norns, who is this kind of like witch queen back in Asgard to restore his powers. Carnilla explains it all. Yep. Wait. What? Oh, well, that's not even a joke. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking her name was something else. I guess that doesn't work. What's the it's, what's the show? I mean, Clarissa. Oh I mean, yeah, no, I'm not fun. that close. Yeah, cut that out. It starts in no, no, it's thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he calls to this like witch queen basically to restore his powers, and after he makes this back, after he beckons her, the wrecker like peeks in this room and is like, that guy's got a costume. He must be a supervillain too. He sneaks up behind him and hits him with his crowbar, and Loki is knocked unconscious because he has no powers. The record's like, this is a swell-looking helmet, uh, and puts it on. The Norn Queen, from another dimension, only sees this guy with Loki's helmet on, and is like, oh, there he is, and zaps the Wrecker with Loki's powers, giving the Wrecker the powers of a god. Yeah. And that's kind of the thrust of this issue. The Wrecker is now, like, just a maniac with a crowbar who's as strong as a Norse god, and he starts, you know, like, lifting buildings out of their foundation with his crowbar, and wrecking house, and it ends with, uh... Like, Thor and company go off to fight him, and they get record. Is that the word? Record? Yeah, it is. It's the word. Um, that works. Yeah. And that's kind of how this one ends, with, with them fighting. This is also the... Um, they've replaced Tales of Asgard as the Thor backup with Inhuman mm-hmm. stories, which I'm of two minds about. I really like these Inhuman stories, but I wish they were in the Fantastic Four. Um, I yeah. really miss the Tales of Asgard. Those are great. And I think the Fantastic Four, like, I think any comic here could benefit from being five pages shorter. Mm-hmm. Like, almost none of them need to be 22 pages. Like, 17, 18 pages is really, it, it's a benefit for Thor that it's slightly shorter. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're less padded. And I think Fantastic Four, as 
good as that is generally could also just be a little shorter and it would have been tighter we get the origin of black vault here yeah i was pretty excited the the inhumans backups were in here because when i did the my marvelous year club the first time uh they were not these all just ended at page 17 so they've updated that since then i think ironically enough to like to to go in line with the inhumans tv show hey everybody i remember i still remember um, but it's like less than a year ago, everyone's forgotten, but, um, yeah, but anyway, I was excited to read these. They didn't quite live up to like my hopeful, optimistic expectations. Uh, but I do like them. I think you're spot on about them making more sense in fantastic four. I, yeah, I, it, which is funny. A lot of people say the same thing in letters. Yeah. The letters are completely split down the middle for Thor in these, these next couple issues. It's like half people saying how much they like it half people saying they're upset that Tales of Asgard is gone. I do think the one, and I may even talk about this in the next issue, but one thing I that does kind of make sense in a connection with Thor is you clearly have Kirby here. Like they, for the longest time at this point in Marvel, they were really trying to make Inhumans a bigger thing, which I know we think of now as like this sort of failed effort by Marvel and Disney, you know, like in the modern TV and movie landscape. Like, remember, there, there yeah. was going to be an Inhumans movie in the MCU. Remember? Like, that was a part of the schedule. And then it became the TV show that was totally derided. Um, but they were trying to do the same thing in the late 60s. And you can see Kirby, like, he's actually putting a lot of the seeds of ideas and designs and things that would become, like, a big part of his new gods with DC. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see, like, the the work here where it's like, oh, man, if they had given a Kirby Inhuman series around this time, that could have been... That could have been really, really interesting. But instead, it kind of sticks to these five-page backups, and um, they're they're fine. I don't know. They're okay, if you yeah, like the Inhumans. Okay. They don't even fill in that much information. Like, the big takeaway from—I don't think, actually, it's in this one. I think from Thor, like, 146 and 147, is that the Inhumans—we've seen their backstory of that they were—they they evolved, basically, parallel with, like, early man, um, yeah. but they were super advanced. The biggest takeaway from these early ones is that that advancement was brought on by the Kree. Right. Um, is that the Kree showed up and accelerated their evolution. They don't do much more with that. They don't talk about it at all. They just kind of mention like one of the Kree's sentries is there and mm-hmm. is, um, is observing. And then so they get their powers. A lot of those ideas have stayed with the Inhumans lore, um, you know, in, into modern times as well. Yeah. And then the Inhumans got advanced enough that they start advancing their own evolution with the Terrigen Mist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They zap themselves with this, you know, mist in order to give themselves powers. Uh, the origin of Black Bolt does nothing, really. It's just kind of like he's a baby who, when he cries, he knocks down buildings and he can fly and he's got a little antenna on his head, which is real cute. Um, and, oh, there is one part. Medusa and Black Bolt are cousins, which is like, ugh. Uh, little Game of yeah, Thrones, little, uh, little Barry and Iris from The Flash vibes oh is that a thing little cruel intentions <laughs> it's all the rage in pop culture yeah, i didn't i didn't know that's a thing yeah, yeah. I, I mean i also just we're not going to go more into these but i love how glum black bolt looks all the time like he's got a pretty tortured childhood in some ways literally yeah he just like he just looks this perfectly flat affect all the time and he always just looks kind of like oh man like that that's the expression he gives off all the time is just except if he said that he he would level houses <laughs> yeah so the next issue we read was Thor number 149, Windfall's a Hero. This is Stan and Jack produced, Vince Coletter on inks, Sam Rosen on letters. Uh, mm-hmm. Thor fights the Wrecker, and uh, Sif and Balder watch from Asgard on their, their little crystal. Uh, the Wrecker, he like, after he beats up 
Thor, he's like he's robbing a bank, and I just wrote he's so high on his crowbar powers, like he just <laughs> he just thinks he could do anything. It's pretty wild. He's super he's like, excited I've got all about the powers. This. Now I need to be rich. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, this is this actually underlines like Thor's really good, and these are kind of I'd say these are middle of the road Thor issues. Mm-hmm. But I still think they're really readable. Like they're very fun for just being like it, this. Just shows that even so so. Thor issues, kind of like Spider-Man or Fantastic Four, are generally like, yeah, they're still pretty good. Like, even the the B, B minus issues. Um, there's my favorite part of the... So basically, Thor is fighting the Wrecker without his powers, which I don't even know how he does that. And then it becomes blurred because, like, he the Wrecker gets behind the, the wheel of a, a bulldozer and, like, bulldozes gravel and pushes Thor into a wall, mm-hmm. which is my favorite image. That's a really cool moment here. But again, if Thor doesn't have his powers, then that would definitely kill him. And then Thor like pushes the bulldozer away. So does so he have some power this still? Is, they like this is kind of a challenging. Yeah, this is kind of a challenging Thor thing because Thor losing the powers of a god doesn't necessarily, or like the powers. I don't know the full like allotment of whatever Odin grants him. It doesn't make uh-huh. him a weakling. I guess is the thing. Well, I mean, he's still got big muscles, but like. And that's kind of what I thought it was initially. Well, not, but not, not even just like a mortal. Like he's still like a strong god, I guess. Because this this I happens mean, push- recently as well, and it's it's a tough one for me to get my head around. Um, it's like he's yeah. not Thor, because there's, it's the whole Odin Sun thing, and I won't go into the reasons why or whatever for like for spoilers. But it, it's the same kind of idea where you have to be like, but he's still super strong and heroic like it's not like when spidey loses his powers like he is genuinely just a scared teenager at that point right you know thor like you said like he gets run over by a bulldozer it's some of it is probably just stretching the bounds of how this should work but then some of it too Mm -hmm. is like he's but he still has to be super strong he's just not unbeatable god thor i don't know it's a tough one i think yeah Uh, it's still like pretty effective fight and it actually ends with thor He's up in a building, and the Wrecker, it's like his third building that he topples over what, these issues. What does he do to that building? Topples, re- records it. Uh, he, he records it, but he crowbars it right down. He he gets that crowbar under a building, and he takes the whole building down. Yeah, he wedges it down into like the corner of the building, and yeah. then you know, crowbars the whole thing up. Yeah, it's delightful. Um, it's, so, a, it's like the third one, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean, it's a big fight comic. Um, it, Odin still has no eye patch. I noted as well, uh, which I'm I'm really mm-hmm. waiting for that eye patch to appear. The, it ends with uh, the Inhumans backup is called Silence or Death, and this is the one where I'm talking about Black Bolt having a tortured childhood, <laughs> where, mm-hmm. where we get a little more visibility into that. Like he's basically locked, not basically, he is locked in isolation to until he's what is he 16? Like it's nine, no, his 19th birthday to learn to yeah. never speak and to completely control his emotions. It is right. cruel and unusual and isolated, but it does kind of work because he comes out of this cage uh, and he will not talk. Like nothing can prompt him to. And his whole family comes, the royal family comes to celebrate his release. They're all excited, except for, of course, Maximus the Mad, who immediately tries to rile him up <laughs> and set him off by attacking him and get him to speak and, and prove that Black Bolt is not, you know, worthy of the crown and that he is. Which is like, wouldn't he just disintegrate everyone in the room? Like if he ended up yelling out in pain? Because it also feels like when he yells, just buildings fall, but people who are standing right next to him are fine. There's that kind of like thing going on. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what. I mean, here's the thing: yeah. Maximus is mad. We don't have to think he maybe thought this yeah. all the way through. I like, I like Maximus a lot though as a villain. Like, th- I feel like that kind of like crazy madness 
mixed with the evil works for me in a way where it's just like someone who's totally sane and pure evil is boring to me yeah so like i'm a fan of maximus yeah um but yeah it doesn't work black bolt controls his emotions and uh i i did i think this was my favorite of the inhuman short stories Mm -hmm. that we read oh you mean triton goes to hollywood wasn't you (laughs) You (laughs) actually there's there's a really funny moment in that so uh, at least there's one yeah okay but that takes us into thor number 150 so the last issue ended with this building toppling down on top of Thor and him supposedly being dead, laying in the rubble. And Wrecker goes to like check his body, and lo and behold, he is actually dead. He's got no pulse. And Balder and Sif back in Asgard are fighting their way to the Queen of the Norns. They're trying to like go there to basically have her undo the power that she gave to the Wrecker. Loki is there with her, and he's like, well, you didn't give me my power, but I guess it all worked out because Thor's dead. Thor's spirit lifts out of his body, and Hela is there, who looks hella cool. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy! It, I do love, I do love this design. She looks good. She looks real good. Actually, it's that green and black costume. It's actually got, um, it does look very New Gods esque to me. Uh, it's like looks like Lashina, one of the female Furies. Basically, she's there to collect his spirit because she's the like goddess of death. And Thor's like, oh no, wait, I need to go check up on something and she's like yeah sure okay i'll i'll, I'll be here right. <laughs> like a very patient <laughs> spirit of death like she's weirdly cool about it yeah yeah she's totally and then there's a really funny shot the wrecker's still wreckering mm-hmm. off on another part of town and thor just keeps like leaping at him with his incorporeal body yeah. like jumping through him which is a real through line of the beginning of 1968 like this is the, at least this is the first of many times we're gonna see like people leaping through somebody else Oh my god, it's so funny later. Okay, so back in Asgard, the Norn Queen has this thing called the Destroyer, which there's an older issue of Thor where it was introduced. Big robotic, not robotic, a big suit of armor that you you put your soul into and you become this big unstoppable warrior. Yeah, you may recognize from the first Thor movie. Yep, and the Norn Queen tells Sif, if you want to save Thor, you'll put your soul in here. So she does, and it gets transported to Earth, and so now the Destroyer is there, just complicating things, and the Destroyer uh, starts smacking around the Wrecker, and, like, I think grabs his crowbar and just shatters it, (laughs) and then just smacks the Wrecker away, Mm -hmm. like, defeats him. Yeah. But then she smacks him into a hardware store where there's just another crowbar, so he picks that up, and now he's the Wrecker again, because that's all it takes, (laughs) is a crowbar. It is convenient. I do, I do love how that, that much... Would be re- that would be really funny, though, wouldn't it? Like, he gets his crowbar shattered, and he's really upset, and then you just see him, like, run into a hardware store and run back out again, like, all right, I'm back. I mean, I'd be, I'd be here for every Christmas with the Wrecker, and he just gets a new crowbar, <laughs> and just the look of joy on his face every time. Um, I, oh. I would say I do love this issue, how much Asgardian, like, lore it works into a single issue. You know, you've yeah. got Hela showing up. You've got the Destroyer, Carnilla, Loki, Sif, Balder, and then, of course, Odin doing his thing. Uh, it's a lot of good Asgard, and then and then the Wrecker, most importantly. Yeah, and it, and, it, <laughs> and it weaves it all together pretty well. Like, it's getting complicated, but it's built up to this point instead of just throwing in all these characters at once. Mm-hmm. So Thor watches this happen, and he's like, well, I need to destroy the Destroyer. And he goes back to his body, and he's like, whoa, oh, hell is gone. Well, let me try to get back in my body. And then he does, and he's back. It, it's nothing. Were it you as happens. confused like, by Hela's 
game plan here as I was. Yeah, she just disappears. She's just like, oh, well, I guess I'll just let him have his body back or something. Like, there's nothing. There's no. There's nothing about it. I. It seems like she was distracted. Like, she had 20 other appointments, and she was like, you know what? This. I don't have time for this. You're free, Thor. Yeah, I'll, Do just, what you like. I'll just let him come back to life. Yeah. So he just climbs back in his body, his spirit, and so Thor's back in his body. And I think that's how we leave this one. Uh, Thor back in his body, facing off against the Destroyer that has Sif inside of it. And the thing is, it's like, the Destroyer's not completely under Sif's control, like... It's kind of this killing machine. She has a little bit of control. The Destroyer tends to take over. Uh, so it is sort of yeah. this walking imprisonment for, for Sif, um, which is not great for her. Uh, so the, the backup here is about Triton, yeah. the human, who already kind of looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon, like mm-hmm. he's this green uh, sea creature. And he goes off, he, he leaves the inhuman city of Atlanta to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't do it with this one yeah. of Adelaide to to check out the rest of human civilization i really liked the casting of donald glover in in the new inhuman series on fx it was a pretty nice touch even worse than my joke he <laughs> where would like isn't it disappointing that donald glover was some little throwaway part in spider-man homecoming well i mean it seemed like a seed that they would come back to at the time at least yeah, I know. I, I wait because what? He's the Prowler. So he's the character who becomes the Prowler. Is that what it is? I don't remember. Who, well, who maybe. I mean, so like he's Ultimate Universe Prowler potentially. Yeah. Right. Ugh, yeah. I mean, it's just like it's kind of a waste. He's such a good actor. Like he could he could carry one of those movies on his own. Well, I think you could do that. The problem now is Spider Verse did it better. So do you do you go back to that well oh. necessarily? Yeah. Um. I got distracted. Oh, right. Tri- okay, so Triton goes to uh, to Earth and basically immediately runs into the creature from the Black Lagoon is actually filming. Yeah. <laughs> and he he starts, like, fighting this sea creature, which is just really a guy in a latex suit, which is a very funny little moment. And then he just gets taken. He gets kidnapped by the production crew. Triton's whole thing is getting captured. If Triton's around, yeah, he's going to really get captured. Is. It's all he does. I mean, he's pretty boring otherwise. Anyway, the, this carries into the next issue. We don't need to talk about it. Like, he's just captured. It's boring. Yeah. But I like that detail of him bumping into the actual creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, they even mention him. They even mention Boris, Korlo- Kor- Boris Karloff by name here. So Stan and Jack, Thor 151, Vince Coletta, and Sam Rosen. We've got Sif trapped as the Destroyer. Thor fighting her. Um, he obviously doesn't know Sif's in there. He's just basically fighting like a madman trying to stop the Destroyer. Uh, he does not stop to ask questions, certainly. And there's a there's a pretty wild moment of Thor. He begins begging Odin for the return of his for, full power. And in the midst of this sort of impassioned plea, he even bellows out, why hast thou forsaken me? Which, if I'm not mistaken, oh, is straight out of the New Testament, <laughs> like Jesus talking yeah. to God. So yeah, uh, yeah. Thor is is going very biblical on us. And, uh, and then Odin's kind of, you know, taking this all in. He eventually is going to give Thor back his powers here so that his son doesn't die. And I did note as well, Odin's hat, as he is considering all of this, is top notch. the only note I wrote here. (laughs) We get a big (laughs) splash page of Odin. It's literally the one note I wrote for 151. That his headgear is amazing. Also, it made me think that, like, Jack Kirby headgear is... He just starts with drawing a very, very basic helmet, and then he Mm -hmm. does kind of like mandala work on it. Like, he just layers more and more and more details until it builds up and out. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if this is a thing, but if there's if there's a cosplay center that like has Kirby hats around, and then I would just love to see people try them on and try to like walk upright, you know, because the balance and like the weight of these things has to just be wild. So I maybe this is my my new thing is going to cons and I'll start a little Kirby booth um, where it's just Kirby hats. Yeah, don't wear anything else. Just the head. Just the hats. <laughs> just be walking around in your polo shirt. Yeah, that'll be the name of the con. Just hats. And, uh, yeah. So th- this is a big fight issue. Thor gets his powers back. He fights the destroyer. Um, this one kind of and well. So it this ends one, with this one doesn't end with any kind of big resolution, right? No, nah, not really. So it ends with Ulik the troll shows up and he so Carnilla and Loki are controlling the destroyer through all this and uh Ulik shows up. Oh right. I there's I knew there was a reason why I trailed off. And he he trolls them a bit to the point that Carnilla mm. needs to free mm. um Balder, who she has in chain there, and uh Balder has to defend her. And that's where we end. It's it's a cliffhanger. Thor's gonna continue, but this sort of wraps up the powerless Thor versus the Wrecker slash destroyer saga. Yeah, as soon as a troll shows up I'm I'm out. I lose interest. They look ugly. They're boring. I like him as supporting characters. If it's like straight up a Thor versus Ulick comic, I'm probably going to be pretty bored. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read a good troll story yet in Thor. So they, they had a big like troll war saga thing happen already, and it was it was pretty dull. Yeah, I mean, War of the Realms, which is going on now, like it's got everybody. So it's got a bunch of trolls, and uh, they they f- can fit into the broader narrative, I think, if done well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right, so that that takes us. I, well, let me let me say, I think these were okay. Th- this is the peak of what I think we read for this episode, and I think oh, these were no. like what? B-, B plus issues. Oh, really? What? What's... Did you skip Avengers fifty seven and fifty eight? No, I, I read them. How dare you? I read them this morning, actually. How dare you? Uh, they're okay. You, I'll say they're probably on the same level as as these Thor these comics well all right we'll get into it yeah i'm fine with that i'm fine with them being at that level i guess um but i, I like them okay i like them okay i just like they, they didn't stand out particularly to me like once it just turned into like three pages of fight at least they're only like 18 pages long that helps mm-hmm. that helps them go down a little easier um we're going into fantastic four number 77 the only fantastic four story we're reading this whole year oh no we're reading one annual next episode there's a big That's annual it. Yeah, that's wild. This it's just kind of a strange lineup this year. Like we have one episode, or one issue of Fantastic Four, and one annual of Fantastic Four, and only one Spider-Man annual, which is like kind of unusual for us. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're um, it doesn't mean they're bad by any measure. It just means there's maybe not as much like I don't know stuff that's referenced in the canon right. as frequently. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing: like obviously we love Spidey. I would like I read the Spider-Man issues from this year and I would recommend if you're going through it you do the same. Um but you can you can get by with your Marvel history not having read them. Yeah. Yeah, I'll probably go back and read the Spider-Man at least from this year and maybe check out more Fantastic 4. Mm-hmm. Um this Fantastic 4, okay. So they're in the microverse. All the boys are in the microverse. Sue Storm is on bed rest because she's pregnant. The Silver Surfer is there because he was shrunken, but he comes back to size and he reassures sue who's panicking because reed is gone it's a whole big thing basically sue is just you know being a stereotypical like marvel female at this time and her emotions are overtaking her and it's classic pregnant lady worrying about her husband not getting out of bed oh oh wait that's (laughs) that's absurd (laughs) i agree i don't know why she can't get out of bed she's not like delivering and at this point she's not even that pregnant like 
Yeah, it it's ridiculous. And you know, here's like, a, here's the thing. I've I've met many a woman who works while they're pregnant, like up until delivery. So I don't know, different view of of what. And she it's could not be doing. that wild to be actually concerned about your husband who's shrunken into the microverse. Like that's a gen- that's a works. genuinely so, valid concern. <laughs> so the the B plot here is about Silver Surfer. Uh, the Silver Surfer is trying to Galactus is the worst boss. Agreed. The Gal. <laughs> Galactus is on his way back to Earth to eat it because he's starving. He's so hungry. So he's so hungry. snacky right now. Yeah. Um, and Silver Surfer needs to rush to find something else for him to eat so that he doesn't eat Earth. And so we get this shot, these shots of Silver Surfer, who's free from the bonds of Earth at the moment. I think Galactus freed him so he can fly around the universe. And eventually he finds like a flying comet full of thermal energy. Mm-hmm. And he diverts Galactus's hunger towards it. Galactus eats it. <laughs> And then tells the Silver Surfer that he needs to go back to Earth, uh, and he's trapped there again. Silver Surfer requests, like, "Hey, I helped you out. Can I? Can I be free finally?" And and Galactus is not having that. Yeah, Galactus is like, "No, I'll put you back on Earth until I decide to come eat it, which might be millennia from now." And it's like, it's been like eighteen months since you were here last. Like, he's still break. feeling <laughs> a little salty about what happened back in the coming of Galactus. It, it was yeah, it was not that long ago that he tried to eat Earth. Like, yeah, in, in real life, it was. About two years. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's not going to be a millennium. So this this is definitely an issue that if you told me, hey, this Fantastic Four by Stanley and Jack Kirby's got Galactus, Silver Surfer, and Psycho Man, I'm excited. And that's why I included it on the list. And it just, it doesn't live up to like any of that. That The Galactus and Silver Surfer stuff is okay. Mm-hmm. The Psycho Man stuff is less interesting because Psycho Man, okay, here's the thing about Psycho Man. It's worse than his last appearance, his first appearance, I guess. Well, he doesn't have his little box of emotions, and so what is he? Nothing. He's just setting up traps in the microverse, yeah. He's a Kang the Conqueror wannabe, like, which is a design that I hate right now. It's like someone in full robotic, it's basically their entire body looks like robot armor, yeah, and then their their face is just a different color of robot armor. You know when I like it? it? Like, I like it when there's actually a tinier version of that person inside that robot wearing the same <laughs> robotic armor, and Psycho Man's not doing that if you're already in the microverse. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, for, I had actually forgotten that like Psycho Man's whole thing was that he's actually a teeny tiny version. And yeah, I feel like if you palette swapped like his colors to the King the Conqueror one, they'd be pretty indistinguishable, or vice versa. Yeah, that's I could see that. Well. And the way that they get away, like he doesn't, he doesn't have that awesome box that he's carrying around, but he's still kind of manipulating their emotions. And the way that they get out of here is they say like, Galactus is coming. And if he eats Earth, he'll also eat your tiny Earth. Mm-hmm. And he, the Psycho Man looks at Reed Richards, even though the crisis has been actually averted. Psycho Man says, mm-hmm. you're telling the truth. All right, bye. Yeah. And then that's it. And it's fine. It's nothing. I don't know. <laughs> Like, I, I don't want to sound so salty about these comics, but it's just like, they, there's no real arc to them. They're all just like a flat line of, of drama for me. Like, Yeah, I mean, the thing that's building, yeah, the thing that's building in Fantastic Four at this point is like the pregnancy, honestly. And I think that's kind of the through line we're going to follow in this mm-hmm. list. But otherwise, I mean, this is kind of an aimless, aimless year for the team. Um, which is a little disappointing yeah. because it's been so good to this point. So that's actually going to take us to a, a fairly more notable moment in uh, in 1968 where we have Tales to Astonish 
number 101. I like this one. I think this is my favorite Hulk. Yeah. So, so tell, like, it's tell not great. Astonish. Like, it's, no, it's not. It's not a knockout by any measure. But like, it's a pretty fun Hulk issue. I think. Yeah. Um, it's it's the most I've liked Hulk. Yeah, to this point. And uh, so he's got you know his own Hulk stories in Tales to Astonish, and then right after this issue, he's actually going to get his own magazine back again with uh, the same numbering continuing. So in true yeah. Marvel fashion, <laughs> they're going to rename the magazine but continue the numbering, and everybody on Marvel Unlimited is going to be confused fifty years later. So yeah, Tales to Astonish number one hundred and one is called Where Walk the Immortals. It's by Stanley the Manly, Marie Severin, Frank Giacoya, and Artie Semek. And I really like Marie Severin's art here. I think it's pretty good. Marie Severin does a really nice job. We've talked about her yeah. a bit, um, but she's like she keeps getting better. I think too, like the more her stuff we read, yeah. and this yeah, she, the, she has some really interesting like panel layout stuff. In in the her shots of Bruce Banner transforming are really fun. Mm-hmm. She shows him in like the various throes of pain, like overlaid like five different Bruce Banners writhing as he transforms into the Hulk. Right, just pretty fun. Right, yeah, it's a nice touch. Uh, the premise here is Loki transforms Bruce into the Hulk entirely for the purposes of throwing him into Asgard and having him smash up the place, which is actually mm-hmm. like a hook I'm pretty into, you know? Yeah, especially since he shows up. So Hulk just gets dropped on the Rainbow Bridge mm-hmm. right in front of Heimdall, and Hulk just smashes down the Rainbow Bridge, mm-hmm. which kind of ripples it like uh, Rainbow Road on Mario Kart. Like, it just starts getting <laughs> a big wave yeah. through it, and it just bucks Heimdall off of it. <laughs> yeah. Which is very funny. It's like, what are... I literally have never seen Heimdall do his job yet. Like, he just lets people sneak by. If you're a bee or a snake, you can sneak by Heimdall. Yeah. Or if you just, like, shake the Rainbow Bridge, <laughs> yeah, he'll topple off of it. So, yeah. Yeah, his urine reviews job. have to be abysmal at this point. Because he, for all his talk, <laughs> <laughs> is really not doing much. Um, yeah, so Hulk's, you know, he's smashing through Asgard. Uh, props to Hogan the Grim here for seeing Hulk, seeing his might, and tossing him an axe because he thinks the Hulk is unarmed and it would be unfair. Oh, yeah, that's fun. That's a fun <laughs> moment. Yeah, the Warriors 3, uh, we haven't talked about this is a good Warriors three. too yeah. much, I don't think. And th- this is a good appearance, and this kind of sum like, they've built up to having their individual personalities, mm-hmm. and this really sums it up, where Ho- Hogan, Hogan? I, I say Hogan, Hogan, but it's pronounced, it's is... spelled H-O- G-U-N. Hogan, I guess, like Shogun. Hulk Hogan. Get it? Hulk versus Hogan. Just, Fair point. Yeah. Fair point. Um, yeah, he, he's just a very stern guy, stern, super serious warrior who is kind of modeled off of like a Mongolian Genghis Khan type. I yeah. think that's what they're going for. What is the handsome one called? So you got Fandril the Dashing is the yeah, handsome just, one. He's like a, a Robin Hood. Errol Flynn era. Like, yeah. Robin Hood, yep. And uh, and then you have my favorite, Volstag. Volstag. This real big guy who's, who's running joke now is that, like, he's really, really braggadocious yeah. in a way that, like, he's con- he's really cowardly. I don't actually know if he's cowardly, but, like... He's not cowardly so much as he's not actually, like, the active go-getter of the group. That interested in mixing it up, so he just uses the excuse of that he's too powerful to right. fight. Like, it wouldn't be fair if he entered the fray. Yeah. Like, that's what he uses here is, oh, it wouldn't be fair if I jumped in three on one. That's not fair. Yeah, his his hold me back routine is one of my favorite running gags in Thor he, comics. He gets, he gets basically, like, pounded into a hole in the ground. Like, he's shunted into this <laughs> this crack in the ground by the Hulk. And he says, Vandril, Hogan, I beg thee, hold me back. I have no wish to destroy yon stranger with a single blow as he's, like, scrambling around upside down in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah it's, it's really good yeah i love me some warriors three i think this is really nice uh semi-introduction to the team in the my marvelous year club and volstag yeah. in particular is is high comedy i think stan uh in particular relishes writing volstag he writes them a la falstaff from shakespeare and you see a lot of uh-huh. shakespearean influence i think particularly in stan's writing of like silver surfer which we'll get to later this year, but Volstag is yeah. definitely one of the clearest outlets of that as well, um, and it's good stuff. Yeah, and this just—I uh, think this just ends with the Hulk kind of getting finally. Oh, what what happens? It's like um... no. So Hulk's going to leap across a giant chasm, and as he's doing this, Loki realizes his plan has failed, so he transforms Hulk back into Bruce Banner, uh, so Bruce will fall down this giant chasm. Hulk makes peace with the Asgardians and decides to leave. Right? Yeah. And that's where it ends. And then we pick up with Incredible Hulk 102, which you also can read as Tales to Astonish 102 on Marvel Unlimited, which is how I did it, which I think they put it in both places, which is nice. It is nice, yes. Um, but it's it's such a weird issue to be the premiere issue of The Incredible Hulk. It's like... it's <laughs> a good point. I'm going to pick up the first issue of The Hulk. Yeah. And it's, it immediately starts with, like, Bruce Banner falling off a cliff in Asgard. <laughs> You know, I didn't think and, of that, but can you imagine if uh, if Marvel or DC launched a series today and it was a continuation of, like, the seventh issue of the previous mag, you know? The new new Batman, number one, and you open it up and it's, like, Batman fighting demons in hell. Yeah. And, like, and it's in the midst of some, you know, like... An ongoing story arc. Yeah, it is a wild decision. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, he falls past the, uh, the Enchantress and the Executioner, which I think is very funny. Like, he's just, Bruce Banner is tumbling past them. <laughs> And the the enchantress wants to grab him, I think, because he's handsome. No, no, the executioner's no. pretty. So she she wants to get Bruce because there's a chance that he might know something about Hercules, who she right. she thinks Hercules yeah. is really handsome, and just sees a dude and is like, "Wait, he might know about that babe Hercules." Which is, if that's her criteria, it just means she's constantly like zapping men over to her. It's nuts. Like, do you know? Do you have this number? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the executioner is pretty mad about this. And then it kind of turns into more fighting. But then, like, it's, th- again, it's an incredible Hulk issue. It's very strange because we cut away from them. For, we cut away from the Hulk for pages at a time while the Warriors 3, like, travel through the woods to find some old mysterious sage who will then fill them in on Bruce Banner's backstory. And we get this retelling of the Incredible Hulk or Tales to Astonish number one, not number one, whatever the one hulk premiered in yeah it's a narrative device that that sets up like all flashback so this is where it does become sort of a premiere issue because now you get the entire yeah. origin again yeah and and they actually like visually reference the same exact thing so like shot for shot including the penis g-bomb <laughs> like get get uh redrawn here but i think not including the cool green background of the actual bomb going off they do that cool shot of bruce banner when he gets zapped with gamma radiation is it in this in one the, like the yeah, yeah, they do. Because I specifically remember that shot. Oh, so okay. They, and and they have the, the great shot of, like, Rick Jones feet up on the dashboard playing his harmonica like a real dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, the, it's a bunch of fighting again. It's more Hulk fighting before he eventually, like, gets banished by... O- I think he backtalks Odin a little bit here, which is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> and and they t- the rest of the Asgardians talk him down, but it ends with Odin sending Hulk back to Earth. The thing is, like... This, I like these two issues, okay? Like, these were kind of fun. But this is all that Hulk does, is he wanders around, and if he's Hulk, it's just a misunderstanding. Like, and that, I feel like 30% 30 of superhero fights at this point are just misunderstandings. 
Like, <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe that's yeah, fine. Higher, that, that, for happens, sure. that happens a lot. Like where it's just, I mean, we're about to see that with the X-Men and the Avengers where it's just like shoot first and ask questions later, just so that we can see these two people brawling. And it's, that's, but that's everything that the Hulk does. Like he's constantly just mixing it up with people because he's, you know, he's too angry to stop and explain himself. And it's it's boring. Like there's there's nothing more to it. Yeah, I mean that's I don't know. That's like ninety percent, not ninety percent. That's high, but that's that's a huge superhero trope. Certainly. Um, yeah, you're right about it being particularly strong with the Hulk. I mean, I think as we go through my Marvel this year, like not to spoil anything, but we don't read a ton of Hulk until significantly later, and I think that's that's by design because I have similar feelings about like this structure of him just getting confused and mixed up and fighting things is not right. It's just not much of a hook for me. Um, so it doesn't take the story forward. Yeah. It's he's been a, I, I think just honestly, like I think he's a hard character to write. And I think that's why yeah. I think even like Stanley and Jack Kirby, the amazing creators of this era, you know, of so many characters, I basically like not gave up on him, but made him like a supporting cameo guy um, pretty quickly. You know, it's like, cause it's, it's hard to fit him in in his own storylines. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a while. I mean, She-Hulk gets more interesting before he does. Oh, for I mean, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Though I, I like some Hulk stuff in the 80s that we'll get into eventually. I, I like him with like the Defenders, but we'll talk about that. Um, I've never, I don't think I've read Defenders. Did you read, have you read that issue where he's finally accepted into society and it's like Hulk parade <laughs> in, in the 80s? It's really great. Like they throw a parade they throw a whole parade for him and uh, and he just gets like the key to the city and it's just like an entire issue of the Hulk being honored by every superhero in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And it's just him like one at a time, like every hero goes up on stage and says something nice about the Hulk. That's kind of <laughs> awesome. It's very sweet and it's it's good. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a fun premise, yeah. Um, okay, so next on the list we did, uh, let's see, we did four Avengers comics in a row. I think we're going I was, to... I was so mad at you when I saw this. Yeah, we're going to finish it up. Right, so... It's, you know, we haven't done a ton of Avengers to this point, and here we're going to do Avengers 52, 53, and then 57 and 58. And 52, this is an issue I quite like, actually. This is called Grim Reaper, uh, The Man no. Who Killed the Avengers, and it's yeah. by Roy Thomas, John Buscema, inked by Vince Coletta, letters by Sam Rosen, and it opens with a really nice sequence of Black Panther breaking into the uh, secret back entrance to Avengers Mansion. And he does this through— And they through have significantly— like down downgraded his costume by opening up his mask kind of making it like a batman cowl you don't like the open the open mouth look yeah it's weird and then they like backpedal on it because by 58 they've gone back to the full face covering so here's a here's a take i have on that i don't think the costume looks as cool but it does let you know that this is a black man and he's a superhero and they don't have any of those otherwise so that was my only thinking that like it was kind of a salvageable costume decision. I, what's your uh-huh. take on that? I mean, that that's a good point. I just think it looks like... I don't know if that's why It weirdly they goes it. from being one of the coolest costumes when it's like full-on, because he looks really intimidating with the full-on black mask, to him looking like, I kind of think, a little doofy. So Yeah, no, I think it definitely <laughs> looks worse. Like, But yeah, I mean, that might be part of it. I, I Who knows how much that played into it. And that, that's a good point, but... I just think as a costume design, like it looks better when it's just the full on black, yeah, black cover. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so when Black Panther gets into the mansion, he finds Hawkeye, Jan, and Hank, those famous leading Avengers that you know, all dead on the Avengers mansion floor. And uh, oh, so I, this, this is the point I actually have in my notes. 
the first four pages are good. Uh-huh. Because I think these first four pages are very good, yeah. and then it's all downhill from here. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> this is a murder mystery. It's a case of wrongful yeah. accusations. That is quite interesting, I think. <laughs> and uh, so you got Jasper Sitwell, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's kind of waiting there. He's, like, already investigating. And basically what happens from here is talking about, you know, mix-ups. Um, we get basically the police— because Black Panther breaks in at exactly this time, the police have him as like their leading suspect for the mm -hmm. apparent deaths of the Avengers. And around this point, we cut to the Grim Reaper, a new villain who's being introduced here, who takes <sighs> all the credit and is recapping exactly how he did it. Right? Before I say anything about this guy, what do you think about his design? This is a rough design. Grim Reaper's got okay. a rough early design. It stands out as just a hodgepodge of like incongruous ideas what i thought was if you take like a superhero video game like a mmorpg mm -hmm. and you went to the character creation <laughs> menu and you just hit shuffle yeah this is what you would come out with yeah his just like i wrote this down his chest plate is purple his boots glove and mask are red his sleeves and his tight are green tights are green his cape is blue and his belt is black it is it's all over the like he's every color they all clash somehow <laughs> The only cool part about him is he's got that like sweet scythe. Yeah, I think one one thing to think about, or uh, let me start over again. Um, the the probably the most interesting thing to think about with the Grim Reaper is what he explains his connection to the Avengers is, and yep. that is uh, his brother was Simon Williams, aka Wonder Man, who is yep. uh, in an issue way back in Avengers number nine. Not to be confused with power man to, to be confused by one of the hosts here <laughs> right exactly you're the, literally the biggest atlas fan i know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know who that is <laughs> um so there's there's a lot to unpack in in the black panther being blamed for the murder of the avengers and literally shot at by police as he mm -hmm. attempts to escape them um and by a lot to unpack i mean they it's understandable that he would like be brought in for questioning because he does break into the mansion at that same time. Mm -hmm. But it's a bad look <laughs> that they just start shooting at him. Well, you know what? They they don't they don't talk about it at all. Like I I don't think that felt like it was not on their mind. Oh no, it's not a it's not like a focus of the issue. I'm just saying when we look at it today and we're reading it, yeah, they yeah. instantly blame and start shooting at him really without much evidence. And I think that is that is telling. <sighs> I. I mean, I, I'm as sensitive as anyone about that kind of stuff, but I kind of feel like they would have done the same thing if this is a Hawkeye story. Like, I, I don't know if, like... Oh, the police shoot at Spider-Man, too, all the time. I'm just saying, yeah, it right. is it is bad. <laughs> it is bad police work. It's bad optics. And, yeah. <laughs> and definitely bad optics today. But no, I'm just saying more yeah. from the perspective of this is pretty shoddy detective work in that their, oh, first, sure. their first suspect they find, uh, they're, they're firing their weapons at... <laughs> prior yeah. to like asking a question basically yeah i like I, so i like that the black panther lets himself be arrested here he shows up to the police station he identifies himself as t'challa mm -hmm. ruler of wakanda and then he just says this is i couldn't figure out what was happening here I, like i went back and reread this black panther is standing in the like the, the lobby of the police station and he says i've accomplished my purpose and allowing myself to be brought here and then he just jumps out the window <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know what purpose that was. Yeah. Like I reread every scene with him. I don't know why he allowed himself 
to be arrested? Like, what his purpose was? To I be thought. Arrested? I thought that- maybe he like overheard some evidence or something. Um, because shortly there wasn't any. Maybe he doesn't. But shortly thereafter, he tracks down the Grim Reaper himself, and uh, the Grim Reaper reveals to Black Panther that the Avengers are not actually dead. That he just put mm-hmm. them in some sort of electric stasis thing that he did. I'm just like, why would you even do that? Just kill him. It's a strange it's a strange decision, honestly, and not explained very well. So Black Panther, he resuscitates the Avengers and then he invites themself he invites himself onto their team. <laughs> Which I really like. <laughs> in fifty three we get uh I think it's fifty three we get the scene of him being inducted into the Avengers mm-hmm. with Captain America comes Captain America's back on the team at this point. Right or is that fifty seven? Uh, I don't have any notes about Cap. He he gets he gets Captain America's like um, I, I guess they've had a run in before Captain America and Black Panther. Yeah, they met some, in a Captain America series. So he has Captain America's seal of approval, and with that, he gets inducted into the Avengers. Um, this is X Men versus the Avengers is uh, Avengers fifty three. And next, because <laughs> that's all it is. Oh yeah, no, I, okay the. This this is the epitome of what I really hate about John Buscema's art is that it's just it is no sense of place whatsoever. There is no grounding. There's no flow to anything. It's just bodies. Like it's all just it's so focused on the bodies that there's no backgrounds and what it is. It's just kind of generic like computer modules or rocks or something. You never know where they are. Like I literally sometimes they're just like i don't know what room they're in right now are they in the mansion are they in magneto's hideout and he does this like he's into this kind of time flipping thing that we were just talking about like something will be happening and he'll switch to two hours ago so the whole scene will shift Mm -hmm. and then but he doesn't relay that visually at all it's it's really a mess it just like this entire issue just reminded me of like action figures banging into one another yeah and like it's a a big one of those narrating like and then cyclops smacks black panther and then captain america comes in and kicks hawkeye for actually because like right in the middle of this fight like they're fighting the x-men i think hawkeye and goliath start fighting <laughs> for no reason like it's just a bunch of see that's actually that's hilarious un- under motivated it, it is <laughs> they funny. Start fighting their own like teammates. wait what are you yeah why are you guys fighting like you're in the middle of something right yeah. now no that's that's one of the most derisive sort of i think uh i like things you can say about a superhero comic is like it's action figures being played around in the, you know and, and i think this issue is kind of a frankly a good example of that being done because it is just like smashing them together and it might sound fun to have all these characters in the same room but the actual end result is like there's nothing to it like there's nothing to well, read the thing is like it's also we, we don't have um we've had a bunch of issues that are just fighting that turn out okay because it's like okay this is fun creative there's a good flow to this like you can clearly see what's happening and it feels like creative use of power yeah but you can't see anything in this. It reminds me of like maybe early 2000s action movies where the camera's in way too close and it cuts way too quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the later Bourne movies, I think, where it just like the camera cuts are so quick that you have no idea what the action is happening. Like it just is like... I think of the Transformers franchise when I think of that. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, it's something that I think action movies have gotten way better at in the last few years is like oh we we want to see it's cooler to see what happens right right instead of having like flashy editing and that's what this is happening like i can rarely tell what is i don't know you, you just don't feel the movement at all no yeah no totally um and <laughs> the, the other thing i wanted to say though did you notice how weird magneto looks 
in his like his face under <laughs> his headgear. I didn't really know why. Did he? Did he just look gaunt or something? No, no. The <laughs> the absolute opposite, which is that he looks like a like seventy or eighty year old Mickey Rooney. <laughs> like he's got this really like yeah. wide nose and kind of like big pudgy features that looks nothing like the magneto that we know yeah later on like it's a very strange drawing of magneto interesting i don't know i mean sometimes yeah. you're eating more than you want to be and you you know you're trying to cut back but it's just it's just not it working. just looks like his, his helmet is full of bees and he's just like <laughs> being constantly stung by bees and yeah. his face is all puffy classic toad prank helmet helmet full of bees remind me to uh to mark that down for a, a patreon super superhero villain idea your power is a helmet <laughs> full of bees <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm gonna do that yep yeah not bad um there's actually uh it's actually an unbeatable squirrel girl villain that i think is made of bees so you, you may you may have some competition in that market i was i was just talking to, to rose about this where it was like it's gonna be hard to come up with these because it almost every any kind of superhero i come up with it's gonna have it's going to have happened already in Marvel or DC at some point because they just, they've covered everything. Like they've done everything so far. Yeah. And it's going to be really tough to come up with something like that is not a ripoff of something that already exists. Speaking of new creations that may or may not be ripoffs of something that already existed, Avengers number 57, Behold. I'm going to cut out what I said and just have you say that. That was a perfect segue. (laughs) That was the only segue I think I've ever done. You can't cut out. You can't cut out our podcast for a segue. We should just say segue, 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 segue. <laughs> now on. Um, so, behold the vision. This is a big one. I, I think these two issues are. They're obviously important. I think they're pretty good. Uh, this is Roy Thomas, John Buscema, George Klein on inks, and Sam Rosen. And I, I had a lot of salt to throw at that last issue's art, and it's so much better. This one's very four good. issues later. Like somehow he got way better in four issues it's crazy the improvement yeah i i think this comic is a huge improvement um avengers 58 when we get there it opens with this really cool title sequence splash page of black <laughs> panther so i i do think there's some, <laughs> some art to highlight what i i think so too well let's just talk about it now real quick 58 has a splash page that has the black panther hanging from a side of a building yeah and it's like it's all dark and moody and it, it's really cool except the title the, the title is on the side of the building. Like yeah. It's integrated into the, the actual physical structure there, uh-huh. which is neat. Except the title is Even an Android Can Cry, which is so unrelated to anything Black Panther or dark or broody, like the, the, the tone of that picture, that it kind of undercuts the like how cool that is. Like, I wish it, it, you know, it said a panther hunts at night. Yeah, like, it's not your classic cool action sequence title. I, like, I like that title, actually, Even an Android It's a very cry. famous title, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it it's just they're they're kind of at odds with each other, but it's still a pretty cool splash page. Avengers fifty seven begins with the Vision sneaks up uh, into Avengers Mansion. A lot of a lot of mansion break ins this year, and yeah. uh, he menaces Janet Van Dyne. Um, Jan reacts like a like a horror movie actor, I would say, like just yeah. screams yeah. in terror and calls him you know some sort of ghastly Vision, which obviously sticks. His name oh, yeah. go. Oh yeah, a good little call. Yeah, yeah, um, but she's terrified. And basically, there's a whole big sort of wild Avengers, um, like, brawl with the Vision, I guess, before he's kind of finally stopped and sedated. Um, there's an interesting moment here where Black Panther, now a part of the team, he, he's sort of explaining why he wanted to be on the Avengers, because we don't really get that when he shows up. <clears throat> and he calls his yeah. throne an empty, hollow mockery, uh, like, in, in the process of, like, stopping a mugging in New York City, which is a... 
this is something that he's going to be kind of dealing with, I think, for the rest of his Marvel Comics history, which is like, why did he leave Wakanda and his people and right. come to New York? Yeah. It's, a, it's a weird turn. But here it's just kind of like tosses it aside as like, well, that was that was kind of a joke, which is not what we think of yeah. when we think of him as like the ruler of his people, you know? Yeah, it's a little like undermotivated at this point. Yeah. Why he would be here and not leading a country. Like, why is why is our king in New York stopping muggers? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of ruling. So the Avengers, they all gather around. Everyone gets called together to take a look at this vision that they have found. And vision, vision, like, I, I feel a little hypocritical because I was just calling out crazy clashing colors and like piecemeal uniform costume design. But vision kind of has this, like he's red and green and yellow and these like striking clashing colors, but somehow his design works for me. Like he looks kind of odd, but it like kind of works in his favor for me. Well, he's also pretty clearly conceived of in the, in a, like a semi similar style to the 1940s golden age vision. Mm-hmm. That we talked yeah. about, like the looks are not, it, it's a reference. It's definitely not um, an accident that they look somewhat similar. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah. they're not the same character, you know, like Cap is with the Golden Age, but it's it's definitely no. a reference back to that. So Vision wakes up, he attacks the team again. Then sort of as this is happening, uh, he pieces together why he's there. So he's kind of got no memory, but he all of a sudden starts restoring his memory of Ultron 5, the robotic terror had set him out on this mission. So Vision leads the team to Ultron 5's base. They're going to go take on Ultron in his lair. But of course, as we learned from Ultron, is he had planted even that seed in the Vision's mind. And uh, basically everything the Vision's done is, you know, by Ultron's plan. He's, he's setting everyone up here. Which is kind of fun. Like, this is something fresh for Marvel. Like, oh, actually, no, I was going to say robots making robots, but we did see that in the Master Mold and the Sentinels. But it feels a little different here. Yeah. Because um, neither of them are mindless. Ultron as a villain is kind of strange. Like, the idea that... It, they'll definitely change this as time goes on. But he's a little... He's still a little bit like... He's not really a robot or a machine at this point. Like, he's just a madman. He's just evil. Mm-hmm. Like, he he comes out of the womb, mechanical womb, fully just like a cackling Shakespearean villain. Yeah, and for the uninitiated, Ultron is... He's a creation of Hank Pym's, um, and... Uh, they'll, yeah, they'll get into that in the next issue. Oh, do we talk about 58? Okay, I'll save it then. 58. <clears throat> yeah. Yep, so... Hey, forget forget what you hear, heard Dave just say, because I'm going to talk about it later, and it will be better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> looking forward to that. And uh, so Vision, as they're fighting Ultron, Vision takes on Ultron himself to prove himself. Uh, and basically Ultron is, you know, he's he's trying to get inside Vision's head. And, you know, because he designed what is inside his head. We, we didn't talk about Vision at all, what he can do. He's got like one superpower. <laughs> we skipped it. He basically goes incorporeal at this point a lot. You know, he... Or super dense. He just yeah. changes his own density. Yeah, right. So he can... Yeah, exactly. Um, but he fights Ultron and ultimately defeats him, and the issue ends. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting, but like, he doesn't defeat him. Ultron leaps at him. He goes incorporeal, and then Ultron just hits the wall behind him. That's, and that's it. That's like the end. That's how I win all my fights. <laughs> <laughs> you just go someone into full body leap at you. Leaping into walls, yeah. <laughs> It's really funny. It's also the second time because we saw Thor do the same thing, leap through somebody. He was incorporeal that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's really good. Like that's all this build up is this evil mastermind robot, and then just one misplaced leap into a wall, and he's destroyed. <laughs> Gets you every time. Yeah. Uh, the last page is a 
is a very uh, what's the word pretentious, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, inclusion of the poem Ozymandias and uh, with the kid finding the head of Ultron. I really like this page. I like the sequence a lot. Um, and basically it's showing Ultron is kind of the, the failed ruined conqueror. And even like this child finds his helmet and like, doesn't even care to play with it. Like as a play thing, like he just chosses mm-hmm. it aside. Um, it's a, it's a pretty cool ending, even though it's like, I don't know that it necessarily fits the the arc it, of Ultron in this issue. A, no, it felt a little out of place. It felt very um felt very nineteen eighties though. Yes. To me. Like it, yes. it felt way early for stuff like this. Even though if I saw this much later I would groan a lot harder. Sure. Right. No, but <laughs> that's, I, I that's know. That's a what sentence you mean. that I did I I can't leave that sentence in here. You're always talking about your groans and how hard they are how on this hard. podcast. It's getting upsetting. <laughs> I can't I can't put that phrase out into the world. Speaking of the next, okay. Speaking of phrases that I shouldn't say out loud, mm-hmm. Avengers fifty-eight. I'm gonna jump to it. Uh, at, at some point, they they end up trying to figure out where Vision's memory is full of holes, yeah. and they go back to Hank's lab where he has like memory banks. He calls them, which are basically like I don't know. He puts in a helmet and he can re relive different memories, which is strange. And he relives the memory of having built Ultron himself. Yes. The reason the reason I'm rushing to this is just for the sentence of he creates this little robot that's like kind of cute at first. Uh-huh. And then almost immediately, uh, Hank says something like, oh, I got to plug you into your power source. And Ultron goes, no need to plug me in, daddy. I'm alive just like you. I mean, Ultron's got some intense daddy issues and, and it oh, definitely yeah, reads sure. strangely when he's this little robot. Yeah. <laughs> I just like that line. No need to plug me in, daddy. Uh, and then two seconds. This is what I mean from like he goes from kind of a childlike robot to a insane murderer immediately. It's like two panels later. He says, you shall soon be <laughs> you shall soon be out when my next ultra blast hurls you into eternal oblivion. Yeah. Like the turn is so quick and yeah. so unearned that it's like, oh, OK, cool. It's just another psycho monster. This is important, though, because it is it is Hank Pym's. It won't be his greatest failure, uh, but it's <laughs> God <laughs> it's, <stinks. laughs> it's real bad. <laughs> He's got a lot of failures. Yeah, I love how people keep accidentally creating sentient life. You know, like all these failed scientists who are accidentally stumbling across the greatest human achievement that like... Well, Hank, <laughs> I mean, Hank the... sets out to do it, right? I know, but yeah, yeah, I guess he creates, accidentally creates an evil sentient robot, but... He doesn't mean for him to be evil, but he means to create him. And uh, it's like his, I, I do think it's an interesting idea, like the idea of an Avenger create a founding avenger creating mm-hmm. this menace to the world i i think is a cool concept um the fact that it's hank has been difficult to deal with because he's like it's not as much of a hook this is why in the mcu obviously like they change it they make it so it's iron yeah. man you know like well he wasn't around really enough to i mean that would be a weird like he could have been <laughs> they yeah, chose michael for him douglas was the one who just a way to shunt Michael Douglas into all the Avengers movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing going on here is uh, that there's, there's not really any action here. Like it's all flashbacks and filling like Avengers business. But when they at the beginning, when they all show back up to the Avengers mansion with Vision, Iron Man, Thor and Captain America are back, which is like the original teams getting back together. Mm-hmm. And they kind of vote on whether or not to have Vision on the team. 
<laughs> and Captain America is like, well, I know how to test you out and starts attacking Vision and immediately leaps through him <laughs> and then just hits his head on the wall behind him and dies just like Ultron because that's how this happens. Yeah, I was surprised this was the end of Cap. I didn't. <laughs> I thought he had yeah. longer to go. <laughs> well, that's, that's the most fatal move so far yeah. in all of Marvel Comics is just someone leaping through you and hitting a wall. Yeah, so basically, you know, him and Thor and Iron Man, they face off against the Vision, who kind of deals with them handily, and then they decide to induct him into the team. There's some kind of interesting talk about whether or not he's a real person or not, and, you know, you know what makes what makes a man? That kind of, I mean, it's not that interesting, but no. it's at least playing in that playground. You know what would be a nice, a nice issue around this time, and maybe there is one and I'm just forgetting, but like them actually rejecting a member? Because their their admission standards are so lenient, you know, like they it's like it's I don't know, in some ways you could view All you it, have to do is kidnap Jarvis. Yeah, like you could view it as an optimistic like tale of redemption for a lot of these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, for almost all of them that have been like Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, now Vision, like they all start as villains that they fought, you know? Um even like yeah. Black Panther if you look at him versus Fantastic Four, but not really. Um, but anyway, it's I, I would like to see like the character who tried out during this time period and failed to meet their standards because their standards are so like so lenient. Yeah, the, I mean, there's been uh, the swordsman tried to join up, but he was clearly like he evil the whole time. Yeah, he's, he stinks. Yeah, like yeah. he he wasn't even really trying to hide that he was like, let me join and then become your leader so that I can continue doing crime. Yeah, were... <laughs> he didn't he didn't hide that at all. There's a big splash page talk like. So they're talking about the Avengers and what it means to be an Avenger. And we get this big splash page of every character who's ever been in the Avengers. And Spider-Man's there. Like, Spider-Man was in the Avengers at some point already, at this point. Which was confusing to me. Which, I guess I missed that one. Well, I'd have to I'd have to do some digging on that. I mean, he's definitely, he's definitely not like a full-fledged Avenger. But maybe there's a weird no, moment where they're like, like, you're an Avenger for a moment, mister. And he... Did yeah. something. And they just kind of wanted to put him in because he's a popular character. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool splash page. You know, the Hulk's there and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, I think. Um, anyway, so what else happens here? We get some refresher on Wonder Man from the Grim Reaper's brother, which is, I don't even want to talk about it. Just boring. <laughs> uh, the After all this, like, philosophical talk about the vision and whether or not he's really a person or not, because he's still very concerned that he's you know, just completely a robot, and he's got no soul. But they accept him in, and they say something about, you know, oh, well, if you had a, a kidney transplant just that was an artificial kidney, you'd still be a man. It's like, well, that's not quite the same. But uh, <laughs> Vision, uh, Vision kind of, like, agrees to it. He joins the Avengers, and he's like, "If you'll just excuse me for a minute. And then he goes out in the hall, and we get the <laughs> the titular shot of an android crying. Which actually is like a pretty good shot yeah. of Vision yeah. crying. Like it's a pretty evocative shot, even if the buildup is not that great. So, having said, oh, wait, uh, wait, wait, there, no, there's one more. There's one other thing I wanted to call out. Um, this better be good. Wait, I forgot to mention this. It's it's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> when you were talking about Black Panther stopping a mugger, uh-huh. there's a shot of like I think he's handing off the mugger to the police. And there's a couple of black kids standing in the foreground mm-hmm. watching it happen. Mm. And that felt like the most like the most loaded imagery we've seen around the Black Panther mm. at this time. There's a couple of kids watching and like looking at each other like all excited and one saying, I wish we had one of him in our neighborhood. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And it's like a little throwaway thing. Like it's not a big moment. 
and I might be overreading it, but having like black kids see a black superhero and reacting positively was like a cool moment, right? Like that does kind of underline that it's important for them to like kind of have their own representation in this world. Yeah. No, it's a nice reflection of, yeah, I think the power of representation, uh, even if it is a quick moment <laughs> and all too fleeting, yeah. but it's, oh, I, yeah. I do sure. think that's even the intent there. Like I do think that's intentional, which is, which is good. Yeah. Cool. So that's 1968 part one. We did it. Yeah, it was, uh, it's okay. We got I'm, a year and a I'm, half left to get through the sixties. I think we're part two, we're going to get a whole bunch of new series launching, which I think is kind of inherently, um, yeah, a little more interesting. Yeah. We're going to have like silver surfer, uh, Nick Fury getting his own magazine, Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel. Couldn't be yeah. more topical here as we, uh, as we have of course now in the MCU, Captain Marvel. So yeah, we're going to be talking about all that. I think in the meantime, let's, uh, before we do our quick recap about where you can find us, let's introduce our poll for 1968. This is for patrons, and if you're supporting the show or would like to support the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. This year, the 1968 poll that you can vote on will be who has the best hat. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to say helmet or headgear. We're just going to say hat. <laughs> yes, I think we should. No, it's aka who has like the coolest helmet or headgear. And our yeah. nominees, and uh, let's see if we can recall them here. We've got Magneto. We've got mm-hmm. Galactus. Galactus. We've got Juggernaut. Do we? Do we have Juggernaut? Yes. Okay. <laughs> We've got no, we, we can Black Bolt's crown. Thor. We've got Thor's tiny feather hat. Mm-hmm. And anyone else? Scarlet Witch. And Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch, yep. Yeah, got to include that. So that is, get on over to patreon.com, get your votes in, and Zach and I will talk about hats in the 1968 variant (laughs) cover. (laughs) Yep, that's right. For the month of May, we're going to do a little something special for our listeners uh, in exchange for you doing something a little special for us. Uh, We're trying to really spread the word about the show, and, and we think that word of mouth is probably the best way to do that. That's been pretty effective so far. Um, to incentivize a little bit for you to let people know about the show, we're going to be doing a giveaway this month. So from now until the end of May, if you tell somebody about the show, we're going to put your name in a drawing for a copy of the Fantastic Four number one facsimile edition. This really cool reprint of Fantastic Four number one that just came out in the last few months. And it's just this like bonus packed little history packed version of the original fantastic four opening issue our number first comic we talked about on the show and uh if you let someone know just shoot us an email or let us know on twitter or slack that you spread the word and we'll put your uh, name in the drawing nothing too formal about it um if we hear from somebody that you got to listen to the show that they are now a listener we'll put them their name in and we'll put you in for a second drawing so um yeah Thanks for spreading the word and let us know. We'll uh, we'll announce the winner of the drawing at the end of the month. Yeah. Alternately, if you tell someone, our network of ants may just overhear your conversation and report back to that's us. That's true. Which is yeah, how we typically true. get your feedback. <laughs> but otherwise, the ways Zach said there are probably the best. Yeah. Any any one of those ways is fine. Whatever's easiest for you. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, we really appreciate it. We've already gotten a bunch of new listeners just that I've heard. You know, someone recommended the show, and now I came to find it, and I like it. So. Yeah, thanks a lot. We, we appreciate the support. Cool, cool, um, cool. If, oh, if you want to get us any feedback for 1968's variant cover, please do that by 14th. That's also the day that the poll closes. So get your votes in. 
Uh, you can find us on all the various social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find more of my writing and my Marvelous Year reading lists at comicbookherald.com. Uh, alternatively, you can go to mymarvelousyear.com, and that will take you to the page where you can find all the reading lists that you need to play along with the club. Uh, and this is where you'll find next episode's readings as well. And uh, we do want to credit Disasterpiece with our podcast music. Thanks, Disasterpiece. You can check them out. And it's Disasterpiece, Peace, P-E-A-C-E. You can find them on Bandcamp, so Spotify. I, if you typed it in, if you the typed it in way, the wrong Google way, would correct you. It would be a disaster. <laughs> I guarantee it. Yes. Uh, yeah. And peace out. Yeah. I think we're he, done. he just got a new soundtrack this week on Netflix. Actually, there's that like there new Ben Affleck military SWAT show or whatever. I can't remember what it's called. Mm. But he did the soundtrack to it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it seemed like a weird project for him. Yeah, that's not what I would expect, but interesting. All right, we'll check that out. And uh, thanks, everybody. We will see you next year. (laughs) I wasn't ready. (laughs) See you next year. Bye.